Well, let's just get right at it and continue worshiping our great God by getting into the Word. And would you grab your Bible and uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we have some people who will be scampering around here that have some Bibles you can borrow today. And if you don't own a Bible, you got one now. Because uh, here at Harvest, the Bible is what we are about and uh, because it tells us about Adonai and uh, our great God. Well, so far in Ephesians chapter 4, we have been seeing how Paul in the first 10 verses, uh, in those first verses, has been telling us about Christ-honoring relationships. And it's very interesting, when you look at the latter half of the book of Ephesians, it's about how to live life. The first part is reminding the believer in Jesus Christ of all that God has done for you because of Christ. The latter part is talking about how, therefore, to live that life. And here's an interesting thing. The latter part, as Americans, we have a tendency, and especially us guys, we have a tendency to look at everything in life as functioning tasks, and we kind of compartmentalize them that way. But as we continue through Ephesians, I need for you to understand that in Ephesians, this is talking about relationships. God is about relationships, and in it, he teaches us how to live out those relationships. And it's intriguing to me, as Paul begins teaching us how to be able to live for Christ, he starts with teaching us how to live as a body of Christ. I think that's very important to understand. The local church is a big, big deal to our Savior. He created it. And he's the head of it. And we get to be a part of it. And we don't deserve that. But our great God, our Adonai, our Lord has allowed us to do that. And so far we've hit two things. If we're going to live together, if any local church is going to live together and be God's kind of local church, first, in the first six verses, he talks about how it needs to be a place where there are together-minded people. And together on five areas, kind of five attitudes we've already covered. It talks about that we need to be people that are grounded in humbleness. We're a humble people. Proud people don't play team very well. It requires humble people. And out of humbleness comes gentleness. And then out of gentleness comes patience. Because goodness gracious, we've got to be patient with one another, don't we? You've got to be patient with me. Okay, And we've got to be tolerant or forbearing of one another, it says. And then last, we're united out of the oneness that comes out of the truth of the Scriptures. Those five things, the together-minded people, are a critical, critical thing. Then last week, we talked about how the second thing in this local church relationship is it is comprised of gifted people, spiritually gifted people. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior... When you came to Christ, God gifted you. He gave you an ability, not a talent. That's not what we're talking about. That was last week's sermon. But it's just this whole thing of God has gifted you. And listen, here's one of the things I'm just so strong on right now. And last week going through that study is this. Again, as Americans, we love to label and we love to put a name on something. And here's the thing. We look at this and we go, wow. Christ has gifted me as a believer in Christ. I've got to find out what that is. 
because I want to know what it is. And don't we, isn't it true? We just run to want to know what it is. And listen, in the scriptures, it doesn't tell us. You need to, you've got to find out what your gift is. And if you don't, you can't serve. Scripture doesn't talk about that. In fact, the whole reason for the giftedness is that you and I serve. That's the purpose. So as I talked about last week, it's this. Listen, serve. In fact, I would bet if I took a survey this morning, 90 plus percent of you would not be able to say what your spiritual giftedness is with any kind of confidence. I can just tell you that over time in ministry so far. And here's the thing. Take a chill pill. It's okay. Because you know what? By faith, God has gifted you in Christ to serve. So serve. I'm just going to tell you, when, when we die or Christ returns and we see him face to face, the first thing he's not going to ask is, okay, tell me what was your gift. And if I stand before God and go, you know what? When that question comes up, if it ever comes up, and if I stand before God and go, you know what? I'm not really quite sure, but I want to tell you, it was a joy serving my tail off for you. That is going to bring pleasure to our Savior. Now, if you come to know what you're gifted in this, praise the Lord for that. It's going to help you. Just real quick. When I was in my mid-30s, I was in business. I was a businessman. In fact, my brother's here, and we were business partners together. And I was in business. And at that point in time, in my mid-30s, I was really kind of in this point of thinking of, uh, you know what, I'm not really sure if... Well, actually, let me step back. Because at that point in time, I thought God put me in a unique place and a unique position and unique opportunity to be able to serve him with my life as a businessman. Because from my thinking... God knows we need godly, passionate people for Jesus Christ who are lay people, right? Oh, you better say right, <laughs> okay? And in my thinking, I was like, man, I, I just, I'm so fired up about being able to do this. And here's what really happened in my mid-30s. Karen and I, as we were serving in the local church that we were a part of, and I was teaching in adult classes, and I was on leadership in some ways as a lay person, and all of a sudden, over some time, people started coming to us and literally started saying, hey, Doug, have you and Karen thought about going into full-time ministry? Because just as we watch you guys, it's like, we think maybe you should be in full-time ministry. And I'm like, no. Nah. I actually thought about it when I was in high school, but no, I'm not sure about that. And then some other people came and said, you know, have you, you guys maybe ought to start thinking about that. And then there were some more people that came. And over time we started thinking, you know what, maybe the body of Christ is helping us come to see what God would have us be putting ourselves into in the future. And it was really out of others who we served and served with had helped us to move us into what was going on. And that's why it's like, you know what? As we serve, our giftedness comes to the surface. Okay? So serve. That was the point of last week. Wow, that went longer than I thought it was going to go. So here's the deal. Together-minded people are to be part of a local church, and gifted people are a part of the local church. And today, we're going to get into the third thing. But out of that, here's the question. Doug, and I'm glad you asked this. <laughs> Doug. Together-minded people, gifted people, is there a way that they're supposed to like function together and operate together? The answer to that is yes. And the answer to that is contained in what we're going to cover today. So how should God's people operate together, function together? I want for you a forewarning. The passage we're digging in today talks about 
me directly and Nick directly and Pastor Eric directly. And aren't you glad for that? Oh, by the way, it talks about you directly, too. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Let's just read it, and then we'll pray, and we'll come back and get at it. Here we go, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, (laughs) for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, in other words, as opposed to, do this, rather, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up and everywhere into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together, held uh, together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is, work, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God, I would pray this morning as we dig into your, your word, would your spirit just use your word to help us to understand you and to help us to understand ourselves better in knowing how we should function together. God, we want to be a church, and there's churches all around the west side of Indianapolis and Indianapolis and across our country that want to be the kind of churches that honor you. And may we learn how to do that more so today. Because of Christ, in the name of Christ, and looking forward to seeing our Christ, we pray because of him. In your name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and is the first word. And means something just came before it, right? In other words, something came before it and something on top of that. And the discussion that was right before this was about spiritual giftedness. Oh, by the way, the start of the word and in the Greek, this whole verse 11 through 16 is all one sentence. What we're to cover today is one sentence. Paul loves to write like an attorney. I mean, he just goes on and on and on with sentences. But the fact that it's one sentence means that it's one constant, moving, continuous movement of thought that's intended to have a unifying, moving reality to it, okay? So when you look at it, we don't go in and just grab a sentence like verse 13 or verse 14 and start running with it because that would like going and grabbing a couple words out of a regular sentence and putting it on something. It's like you don't do that. So we're covering the whole sentence. And it starts with the word what? And. In other words, it's continuing some thought here. I'm going to hit a couple of these words. And he gave. Who's the he? Specifically, who's the he? Christ. Okay, because the context before is talking about Christ. And so it's continuing on. And he, Christ, gave something. He gave something. Now, these, there's four people, groups, that he gave. And who gave them? Okay, you're with me. Good. What's the first group? What's the second group? Okay, yeah, I think it is actually very important to stay aware of the order of some of these. Okay, and also understanding this, this was written in the first century A.D. 
This was not written last week. This was written in the first century. So when people were looking at this, the first two words, as they're reading, they're thinking apostles and prophets. Let's take a look at these two groups of people, because who are these? Apostles. The apostles are ones sent on a mission. They're an agent representing a sender. They were men, specific men, chosen by who? Chosen by Christ to establish the church. And they saw the risen Christ. Oh, wouldn't that be a cool? One day, one day. The disciples were them, plus Matthias and Paul. Now, the apostles are not shown as self-perpetuating. In other words, we don't see in the scriptures where the apostles continued on and on and on and on. Like, I pass the baton here to Jim, and then Jim's apostle Jim, and then pass Jim about when he's about to die. Don't want that to happen. But he passes it back to Ben, and Ben becomes the next apostle of Doug Jim, you know, and on and on. We don't see that. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, verse 4, is where we see the last historical movement of the apostles taking place. So I understand the apostles to be people who were for a specific period of time and literally when the apostles died off, that role died off. Okay? They had a purpose, a, perfect, a purpose for a time. Then we have the prophets. This is not, as I would understand it, referring to the Old Testament prophets. Instead, this is referring to the prophets at the time of the first century, the starting of the church. This is important because... In, as we understand, remember, the Ephesians who are receiving this letter, they didn't have a New Testament. They were becoming the New Testament in this letter. And so at that point in time, if you didn't have a New Testament, you're kind of like, well, Christ died and Christ rose from the dead. Okay, maybe I've heard about that. Maybe you've heard about that. But what else am I supposed to do? What are all the ramifications coming out of that? And it's like, I don't know. And all of a sudden, David's over here. He's talking about some phony baloney thing about Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You know, talking, it's like, how do I know that he, what he's saying is true? How do I know what, what you're saying is true and what you're saying is true? And so you're at this point in time where God had selected groups of people to be able to communicate the truth in the progressive movement of God's communication with mankind. And so with these prophets, they usually did not receive direct revelation from God, but they were instrumental in building up and strengthening the church. They were usually the ones explaining the relevance of the gospel and the will of God. Uh, the, prophet of, the office of prophet seems exclusively to work within a local congregation, whereas the apostles were a much broader. They were kind of all over the place in geographic means. And like the apostles, their office ceased as well at the completion of the New Testament. In other words, they served as God wanted them to serve. But then when we had the completion of the New Testament, their role was not needed any longer. And I realize there's churches out there that say they believe in the gifts of, you know, gift of prophecy and so forth. I, don't, I think that's gone. But here we're talking about a unique role of the prophet. So here's how I'd summarize those first two Apostles and prophets, I think they're grouped together on purpose uh, as having led the foundation of the church. They received and declared the revelation of God's word secondly. So they laid the foundation, they declared God's word, and they gave confirmation of the divine revelation through signs, wonders, and miracles. These are the guys going around and going poof and doing the cool stuff. 
if you will. But that was for the purpose to confirm who they were. The second, what's the, what's the third group of people? Evangelists. And what's the fourth? Okay. Is there a fifth? My answer would be no. Okay? Now, some would disagree, but here's the thing. In the Greek on the terminology here, when you come to apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, the terminology, the structure of the grammar changes. I don't think there are five roles here that are being included. I think there are four. There's an evangelist. Who's the evangelist? Well, the evangelist for us today is really kind of the missionary church planter, especially in that point in time. They were the ones that picking up the baton from the apostles and prophets and carrying the good news of Jesus Christ on to other places. Those were the evangelists. We're not talking about the gift of evangelism, by the way. We're talking about a role of the evangelist here. They did not have the miraculous sign gifts. They would enter a new geographic area. They would proclaim the good news of Christ. They would disciple believers. They would train them to win others to Jesus Christ, and then they'd move on. Those are the evangelists. If you want to kind of term it in our terms, say it's kind of like the missionaries of the time. But then the pastors. Uh, this is, I think, as I was saying, I think this is pastor teachers is the way how I would actually look at forming this. That the teachers is a description of a key role of a pastor. That at that point in time, there came about to be evangelists and pastor teachers. The pastor, it's a spiritual shepherding person. They care, they protect, they lead. And the teacher explains the key part, a key role. Not the only role, but a key role of what they're about. Again, it's especially key when you go back at that point in time. Because someone's like, I've heard about Jesus. Someone teach me what that means. Because I don't have a New Testament Bible in those days. And so these guys would come along and they would teach. But they were pastors. They would do so publicly and privately. And they emerged as really a key role in the continuation and movement of the church at that point in time. So. So what, Doug? Well, here's the so what. It really gets personal for me because I'm a pastor. And uh, I think this is what it's talking about me and it's talking about Nick and it's talking about Eric. Our job is in the ongoing process of continuing on the pastoring, teaching reality within the local church. Well, good, Doug. Let's talk about you for a little bit because you're the hired gun here. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Ready? Verse 11. Yeah, verse, let me catch up. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, teachers. To do what? Okay, in my version it says to equip. Okay, the word to equip, it's making something fit. It's making it complete. It's, re- it's restoring something to its original condition. So you are all messed up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Go with me here for a bit. It was often used referring to the setting of bones, a broken bone and someone coming along and setting those bones back in place. It was used as referring to the mending of fishing nets. How cultural was all of this reality for them? And they could picture this. So you've got a net, and, it's, and you're a fisherman and fisherwoman, and you're out there, and there's holes in your net, and the fish are falling through money's falling out. And you're like, i got to get this taken care of, and I need a fish mender net 
thing. And so this person comes and mends fishes, <laughs> fishing nets. <laughs> Sorry there. So first of all, my pastors equip. My pastors equip. Well, equip who? Who do they equip? Okay, let's get personal. Who do I equip? You. That's right The saints. I am about equipping you. Listen to me for a minute. Because this goes counterculture to a lot of church thinking today. And I want for you to understand why I am this way and why I think this way. You see, we've got some empty seats in here. Not a whole lot. But we've got some empty seats in here. My focus is not on the empty seats. I just want for you to know that. That is not my focus. Well, Doug, don't you care about people who aren't here? Well, come on. Absolutely do. But I want to tell you as a role for me, for myself, for Nick, for Eric, I want us to be the kind of pastors. We, in our thinking, we're about you that are here today. We're about the people in the seats. We're about equipping you. Now hang on with me for a minute because you're going to see how this works out. And it's so cool. My job is about equipping you. Well, equipping you to do what? What does it say? Okay, to do the work of ministry, as my uh, version says. Who's to be doing the work of ministry? Well, you, Doug, you're paid here. That's why we pay you. We pay you so you do the work of ministry, and we feel good about you doing the work of ministry. Thank you. Okay? That's not the way it works. I love this. Who does the work of ministry? You do. Nick, Eric, we're free. No, no. No, you see, there's a process here. Let me put it in the thing. You heard me say, I'm concerned about the people here in the seats. You need to be concerned about the person in your seat. You need to be concerned about the other people here in the seats here. And you need to be concerned about the empty seats that are here. And my job and your job and your job is helping you do that. And I love that job. And I thank you so many here. Love doing your job. I was just telling the group before we were praying this morning. We launched back in March. We did a big advertising campaign. We have not done an advertising push at all ever since then. And people still keep coming. I don't get you people. Because that's not normal. That's not what normally goes on in church. In fact, what is happening is we have people coming here because you invite people to come here. And listen, it's not just about the Sunday morning thing and it's just our thing. But this is about the body of Christ and this is about the local body of Christ. And it's just so exciting to be a part of this. So if someone among us goes to the hospital, who should go? You should. Like I thought well, that was your job. That's in your job description, page number six, paragraph three, sentence four. Well, yeah, I would because I'm part of the body of Christ here. But you should too. If we have empty seats in the building, who's going after filling those? Hey, 
Thank you. I got a lot of rousing cheer there. Who is about leading small groups? You. Come on. You. Me. Uh, us. Who is to be fired about getting to know and get to with visitors and new people here? Who? Thank you. Who are about shining the light of Christ within our community? Amen. Who is helping you do that? Okay, good. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I just want to tell you, this passage is so huge because for most churches, that's not what's happening. And I want for you to know, I love you guys. And my job is helping you. And we're trying to work on getting our services on Sunday to be more effective, to help you more. This isn't just about coming together and going cool. This is about coming together to learn the word and see lives changed. And I love doing it, and I love doing it with you. And I want for you to know it requires that you need to be learners. If you're not a learner, you're going to have a hard time being equipped. And if you're not a wanter to do ministry, then you're not going to be fulfilling what God has designed you to be. Well, Doug, what about you? Yeah, if I don't have a passion to equip you, I need to leave this job. Because that's my job. Well, why do this work of the ministry, Doug? Look at it. For the building up of the body of Christ. We get into a whole lot of building terminology at this point. Building, and it has here, it's a construction term. It was used for a building of a house. That means I need to be about building spiritual construction workers, you. And that means you need to be wanting to be spiritual construction workers for Christ. And out of this, the result is that the body grows. Here's the deal. When pastors equip and the people of the church do ministry, the body grows. Now, we usually think of numbers, but there's actually here four areas that it's talking about what happens here. Because how do we know if we're a church that is, quote, growing? How do we know if we're a church that is building? Well, it tells us here. Uh, first, it grows in its maturing. It grows in its maturing, in its spiritual maturity. Verse 13, until we all, see the big broad all, that's every one of you who are a part of this church. And I realize some of you are here visiting and kind of figuring out, is this your church home? I'm just telling you, you're learning a lot about who we are here this morning. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. I like that, don't you guys? Manhood. Ugh. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We all, it's comprehensive, it's holistic, it's together. Maturing as we live the faith walk together. Maturing as we grasp more and more understanding of the gospel and the Bible. Listen, that's together we mature in our knowledge. That means that uh, maturing increases our passionate pursuit of the fullness of the measure. I don't want to know just enough. I want to know more. I mean, hungry people, manly people, manhood. Ah. So it grows in its maturing. And then secondly, how do we know if a church is growing? Because when it grows in its grounding. What do I mean by its grounding? Take a look. I love this. Verse 14, so that, in other words, there's a purpose, so that 
We, again, the inclusive, all of us, we all together may no longer be children. Remember, we went from the manhood to the childhood thing here. And listen to how it describes the childhood thing here. Not like children, those parents of you who have little kids and you get this. Not like little children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about. You know, kids, man, it's just like, they're just, they're just like, where's your head and where is your body? It's just to and fro and to and fro. But here, it's really important. Look at it. To and fro about what? Input. To and fro about doctrine. Okay, listen. A church that is growing is a church that is grounded, not to and fro, floating all about. In other words, uh, you know, this week or this year, we're all about um, the open view of God because that's kind of a current thing out there. Eh, wrong, we're not. The whole thing, the idea, the theological position that God just created things and now He's sitting back and just watching it go. Excuse me, folks, but I just want to tell you that is not the God of the Bible. And we don't, we're not going that way. And then we come, well, okay, let's, this year we're about self-esteem. Excuse me, folks, I just want to tell you, would you please think through that concept? Because I'm about to say something that's just going to shock you here, but hang with me just for a minute. Parents, people, I am concerned that we are self-esteeming people to hell. Why do I say that? Because if I'm all about how good I am, why do we need Jesus? And parents, I just I, I caution you. Be very careful. So does that mean I call my children dirtbags? No. We love our children. What this is saying is that we're the kind of place that sinks into biblical truth. Why are we contemporary? Well, because just everybody else is doing it. No. Because we like that. Uh, and this is who we are. Why are we doing small groups? Because that's kind of the, like the new thing. No, it's been an old thing. It's just because we believe that is a, where I can push ministry out to people, discipling out to people, as well as you can live life together rather than shallow relationships within a church. It's a grounding thing. Well, there's kind of a response to that. So third, how do we know if a church is growing? First, by its maturing. Second, by its grounding. And third, by its true thing. It's true thing. <laughs> I love this as well. I just love in everything here, aren't I? Verse 15, rather, now as opposed to being like kids that are woo, 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 all over in our thinking and our theology. And by the way, not human cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes, which boy, does that go on in some churches today? And some of you know about that. Verse 15, don't be like that. Rather be like this. Be like the people who speak the truth in love. I think within the context here, as I spend more time in this, that this true thing here, actually, which is a way it could be translated, true thing in love, it's an ongoing act, and it requires that I have to speak. You can't speak truth if you don't speak. And you can't speak truth if you don't speak and if you don't know truth. And you can't just speak truth. You have to speak truth in love. You know, people walking around just kind of like, you know, just walking tornadoes in how they speak. No, no, no. That's not a truthing person. That's a selfish person. 
It's about speaking the truth in love. And I think this truth in the context is talking especially about doctrinal truth. Don't be like the church that is always just floating here and there, here and there, here and there. And we're not talking about programs and some of those kinds of things that, that can change with culture. We're talking about the core things of who we are. Don't be like those kind of people trying to figure out what their theology is. Be the kind of people that are stuck in this and that speak this. And when we don't speak this, I love you enough that I'm going to seek to try and correct you or talk with you about it. And if I'm not speaking the truth, you're to be like the Bereans who come and talk to me. Doug, I'm not sure if that's really what you were saying because you love me enough with that. It's speaking the truth in love. And out of it, we're growing up. We're doing God talk together. We're sharing the gospel in our life together. It's people committed to seeing and resolving problems biblically. It's truthing in love, and that is a key component of loving our Savior as a body. Fourth, the church body is growing when it is, as I'm terming here, self-perpetuating. That's a big word for me, self-perpetuating. Look at our last verse here, verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped... When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Again, this building, this maturing reality. So that it builds itself up in love. You get to a point to where, listen, we're a new church. We have so much of what we're doing right now. We're trying to do things simply. We're trying to stay on just the core things of what we're about right now. Because we're in a place where we're literally trying to build a DNA of who we are. And building a church here that is thinking and directing in a certain way of who we are and what we want to be about. And as we go along and as you and as I mature, it just becomes self-perpetuating. And as other people come in, they just like get to jump on the train and it's like, whoa, this is a growing place, a happening place. This is a place that solves problems. This isn't a place that just talks about touchy-feely, up-and-down children kind of stuff. Jesus loves you. He does. But do you know how much Jesus loves you? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and read that and then read verse 4. That's how much he loves you. We just want to keep it on the fluff. Let's keep it on truth and in depth. And it comes out of that self-perpetuating. And in here, I'm just going to kind of sum it up there at the end. It talks about it's a tight togetherness. It's where you can't grow together if you're not together. And in it, we're tight. The joints are set together. They're working together. They're functioning together. It's a tight together. It's a unison together, and it's a strength together. So what's a church supposed to look like? I think clearly here we see here it's a church supposed to look like where pastors equip, where you do ministry, and out of that, the church body grows spiritually and the whole way along it, and it's maturing, and it's grounding, and it's truthing, and it's self-perpetuating. Okay. I have a task force here, and I need some help because I want to kind of bring some of this stuff together. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to play some football, and I need some help. Nick, I need you. I need you. I'm just randomly kind of grabbing. Come on up here. Micah, come on up here. Just grabbing some guys here. Hey, Eric, I need you too. Hey, Larry, come on up. Hey, is Rusty here? Is Rusty in here? Come on here, Rusty. We were talking the other day. I need you for a reason. Come on down. Just come on down. In fact, kind of go up on the stage because I want to embarrass you. Um, hey, is Ryan Elam here? 
Is he back? Is Rob here? I need you, buddy. All right. Hey, I want my brother up here, too, for a reason. This is my brother up here. Hey, Sir Wolf, I need you. I need you, man. Come on up, okay? All right, here's the deal. I want all you to get on the stage, and I need to talk to you just for a minute here. By the way, Rusty, hold on to that for a second. Kind of get used to it. Here's the deal. Guys, I got to talk to you. And if we're going to be the kind of team that I want for us to be, some things have to take place. Your thinking together and your attitudes towards each other have to be compliant. In fact, I'm going to sum it up this way. There's five attitudes that are key on this team. And here's the five. We've got to be humble. You guys got to be humble because if we're, if we're a proud team, it doesn't work. And you know other football teams where they got proud players and they just don't get along. So we're going to be humble. We're going to seek to be gentle together, manly. We're going to rip their faces off. But together, we're gentle. And we're going to be patient with each other. We're going to be tolerant with each other. And we're going to be united together. You ready? <laughs> okay. All right, because together starts with your attitudes. Okay, I want for you to understand that. By the way, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Okay, team, in this as well, just look around at each other. Each of you are unique. I mean, you look different, your size different, and the whole thing, right? Okay, you are unique. In fact, I need Nick and Eric. I need you down here. Okay, come on down with me. All right, because just for some reason, you guys are unique out of all those. Okay, and each of you are, are unique in this. And together, we're going to grow as a team because we need to be designed working together. Now, here's the deal. I need a line coach, and you're my man. All right? And I need, like, a receiver's back coach, and you're the man. So, Nick, we need to kind of pick some linemen. Who would you grab? Grab four. All right, okay. All right, you four, why don't you just stand right up here in the center, okay, because you're, you're the line. You're right there. Oh, did you kind of agree? Pretty good pick? Okay, what it looks like. Hey, here's, by the way, one of the things we're going to find out, we're going to find out how good of alignment they are when, as they start playing, okay? And we're going to learn, really, if those are the best guys for those positions. But they look like it. They look like, okay, you got some others here. Now, let me give you a couple suggestions. My brother was a running back and really, really good in high school, so I'd suggest we put him as a running back. I'll take him. Okay, now, <laughs> I also heard the other night we were talking with Rusty, and if I remember right, Rusty was a quarterback in high school. So, uh, well, how about we put him a quarterback? So, Rusty, how about you come down here? Dave, you come down here. I don't know, why don't you put... Well, Ryan, come down. This is not a Micah, yeah. Micah, okay, well, let's get Micah. Okay, we got, okay, you know what? I, as I look at these guys, I'm thinking, maybe, like, we got a great fullback. Right there. Jim? Yeah. yeah. Jim, Jim, I think like you, man, does this guy look like a fullback or what? Jim, you are the man. Come on down here. Because if I were my brother, I would want Jim in front of me. Okay? And then let's take the other two. Let's bring them down as receivers. All right? Let's bring receivers. Okay, so this is, this is a team that we've got going. Now, as we get going, let's, let's apply some of the principles we've learned so far. There's different gifts. And first of all, we're to be a team together. And the three of us actually have a unique role. Because in this, just as this is an illustration, illustrations always fall apart at some point. But in this illustration, I want for us to realize that we're coaches. That means we don't do what, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> 
But man, do we know how to play the game, right? <laughs> okay, so, so we're playing the game, and, and so Eric is working with who? Okay, and what are you working with them? Yeah, that's it, man. Okay, and so here Nick's working with the line, and I'm kind of helping on the overall of things. And as time goes out, we're going to find out how these guys fit in the various roles. Now, understand this. Week by week, we're not going to be doing this. We're not going to be the kind of team that, you know what, we're going to run with two in the backfield this week, and we're going to be sending Jim off to the end and this week. And then the next week, we're going to be running a wishbone, because I heard that's kind of a possibility, or at least an old way of doing it, possibility. And then the next week, we're going to be in an I formation, and we'll kind of run out of I. We're not doing that. We're not doing fro floating all over the place. We're going to be a team that's set up in a certain way, and I have no idea yet what that is, but we'll figure that out. We're going to a team that needs to mature. We're a team that needs to be growing together. We're the kind of team that needs to be grounded. We're not just week in and week out. We're just floating all over the place. We're a team that we need to speak the truth to that together. And that means sometimes lineman has to get on quarterback and let him know, dude, I love you, but you're kind of messing me up. I can't hear you. And that means we're correcting and we're helping each other. And that's part of the truth thing. The other times it can be just, you know, Rusty here is our QB in here. He's just coming up to a guy and going, man, Jim, you did an awesome job. And just encouraging Jim, just I'm so grateful the way he's picking it up. Isn't it? And that's what's been going on in the true thing. And it's self-perpetuating because we may have some turnover, but we want to have other people coming on as well. And when they come on, these guys are setting a framework on how to be functioning as we do that. By the way, the three of us, we're never on the playing field because we're too fat. <laughs> and we're not able to. No, because that's not our role. That's not our role, okay? But you guys, you're out there, and we're, but we're working together as a team, Right? You kind of see what we're trying to do here? Listen, Harvest, let's be a team. Let's be a team that's together-minded. Let's be a team that realizes we're all unique and gifted uniquely. And that's a good thing. Nick doesn't think like I do on everything. And that's a good thing. I don't think like Eric does on everything. That's a good thing. It, in fact, it builds it up. It makes it stronger. And it pursues ahead. And let's be the kind of team where our, your pastors are equipping you to be doing the work of ministry. Hey, guys, thanks so much. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat? We've got a great opportunity. All this is just kind of illustration purposes, but understand this. Everything we're doing is for a great big God, Right? And what a joy to be on his team. Let me pray, and the worship team is going to come close us out. And by the way, as they're coming up on this last song, let us remember that we're just not building this team for the purpose of just thinking we are really cool. We're building this team to mature, and we're building this team that this team becomes the kind of place that impacts the west side of Indianapolis in significant ways. I have no idea what God has ahead. But may we pray for big things to take place, not because we deserve it, but because we want to see a big God do a big thing through little people saved by his grace. And here in this chapter, Paul begins out by telling the people in Ephesus and the surrounding area, you be the kind of people that are together 
that know that you're gifted and that are the kind of people that operate together in the kind of way that honors Christ to bring him great glory in your community and with people around you. Let me pray. God, thank you so much just for the opportunity to be able to be here together as a team. Lord Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. And yet, God, we have so much to look forward to. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I do pray we would be the kind of people where the pastors here at Harvest Indy West are dead dog serious about training people in ministry. And yet, Lord, I pray that our people here would continue to have the attitude that they don't look to the pastors here at Harvest and go, you guys set everything up. It's all on your shoulders. Well, in some ways it is, but our job is to be equipping them to be doing the work. God, I thank you so much for the people you've brought to us who love ministry who are just doing ministry. Many of them aren't in here right now because they're willing to do ministry to kids. Father, what a delight to have a team like we have here. And I pray, Lord, would you build us up? Would you bring others on? May this be a force for you because we want to see you do big things through us. May you show as the God of this city, the west side of Indianapolis, because that's what you want to do. God, may we be the kind of people that just say, come on, come on, God, use us, use us. I'm in, I'm a part. Stretch me, move me, work me, help me. To you be the glory. God's name we pray, amen.